So I met Greg at a, um, I think a new members luncheon years ago and um, didn't really know what that entailed and Greg came and sat down by me and all I could think of was, oh my gosh, the pastor's sitting by me. I've got to eat appropriately and make sure I don't make a mess and he's very tall and he's pretty intimidating and then he starts to talk to me and I think, oh my gosh, he has a gold tooth. I don't, I, I couldn't even listen to what he was saying. I was so like taken back. their ministry meant to us well when they first came it was like it was it was fun to be a Christian yeah you know mm -hmm. it was just it was, that was just that simple we walked in the doors in 1991 for the first time and uh, as many people will attest the first sermon I heard the spirit spoke directly to me I always felt like he was talking to me um, and not in a bad way, just as a challenge to, I think my life could be better. When the Holy Spirit is in a body, a body of believers, it, people know it. People can see it. No, they can, they feel, can it. feel it. He said something to me years ago that I have never forgotten. And he said, Keith, um, one of the purposes of leadership is to define reality for people. We were all sitting on the front row of the, of the church, the youth work, and Craig came up and said, you know, if you don't, adults don't catch on, the youth will take this church over, and I will go with the youth. And when he said that, that just floored me, and I said, this guy's got, <laughs> you know, some, he's got some plans, and I want to get it, I want to, you know, latch on to this. And it made you feel important. So my first day working at Union Chapel was my 20th birthday. And I did not feel equipped or even ready for the work that God was going to do. I am so thankful that I was just given a shot, just given a chance to come alongside a team here that doesn't get everything right, but we're willing to take risks. We saw hundreds and hundreds of lives change through the ministry of 180. And it was Greg's vision to do whatever it takes to reach teenagers. In focusing on Muncie and Stacy and I uh, feeling, feeling called to be right in the heart of the city here and making an impact, and, and then knowing that, that Greg and Beth, that we were discipled under, uh, they're spiritual parents extraordinaire and, and mentors. And so to, to, to walk alongside people that are committed to the community, that are in for the long haul, that want to see a community uh, come to Christ and be changed, uh, to, to be together with people like that is, it makes a huge difference. Um, we are probably 55% uh, Caucasian, 45% African American, uh, which is very rare anyway, but certainly very, very rare uh, with an African American pastor. And so the things that I learned there, uh, he allowed me to come to be a part of their senior management team meetings, and I, I give credit uh, to Greg in a lot of ways, more than he probably even realizes. Um, for sowing into my ministry at that level. Neither one, Greg or Beth, are, are afraid to invest in somebody else to, to build, you know. And then they're, not, then they're not afraid to let them go. I, uh, the, the thought of going that far away to do uh, mission work 
or to meet people of another culture was uh, daunting for me at first. And I thought, I, I, I don't know whether I can do this or not. I think it's significant to have 40-year leadership to do anything beyond the ordinary when it comes to mission. So it takes someone resolved, like Greg and Beth, to say we're going to walk through the hardships of the early phases of mission and church planning. You know, I find myself now in a role where I'm investing in uh, team leaders for church planning teams around the world. Some of them in some of the hardest places in the world to minister among some of the least evangelized peoples of the world. You know, you've shaped a lot about what I think about leadership and what I think about developing leaders. And so as I invest in these guys and as these guys reach some of these peoples from these unreached people groups, it's part of your legacy. We're so grateful for the way that you taught us about grace, taught us about leadership. I uh, came away feeling like after that time that we had 12 really awesome years with you guys. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to do a shout out to you, Beth, personally, just as a as a pastor's wife. Um, Greg's ministry and your ministry at the church at Union Chapel would not have been possible without um, your support, um, your love, your fervent prayers. And so God bless you guys. Mm -hmm. Congratulations again Congrats. on 40 years of ministry. We miss you. We love you. We love and you guys. so thankful that we could have been part of the journey. And dad says it several times from the pulpit that the person most like Jesus that he knows is mom. Having lived for 43 years and been out in the world, that's absolutely true. I don't know anybody who's more like Jesus than mom is. Yeah, I would say she's probably the strongest person I know um, because, yeah, living with us is, is, is in and of itself is enough. Um, but you throw, throw dad in the mix and she's superwoman. She so. had to be strong. Otherwise, she wouldn't have survived. Yeah, but sure. uh, it, it's, 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 un, it's unbelievable how, how awesome our mother is. Uh, she is equally a, a partner in this ministry and uh, he would not be who he is without her. The thing that pops into my mind first isn't just their love for each other, uh, their sense of humor, their love for life, but it's the undeniable favor of God. God's favor is on them in a profound way. It's on him, it's on Beth, it's on their family, and it's on us as a church. There have been so many things we've walked through over the years, and under normal circumstances, we wouldn't have made it. But we always come out the other side stronger and better, and that's because of God's favor. The thing that resonates with me there is that nothing's wasted, <laughs> right? Because we, as a family, you know, the, the enemy is real. And he's doing everything within his power to stop whatever move of God um, that the Lord has planned. And, and our, our family experienced turmoil. So whether that be mom's cancer or our cousin passing. I mean, the, the list is long, right? Um, Life happens. But, but nothing is wasted. Nothing's wasted. He'll work it all to the good. I remember when I first came there uh, that we ran off, I ran off in your 
mimeograph room, this little Acts 29 prayer guide, which has now sold thousands, has gone all over the world, but it got its start at Union Chapel. And I thank God for the prayer room there in the sanctuary off to the left and how many hours people have prayed in that prayer room and how they have blessed you. And just uh, cherish our friendship and so proud of you. Uh, you've always been like an era, always faithful and always uh, wanting what Jesus wants. And that's why I'm so proud to know you. I just want to say thank you for, for listening to where God want you to, wanted you to be in the middle of a cornfield and just investing in the lives of the people that were here. Thank you for uh, allowing people to succeed. Allowing people to fail. Exactly. That was my next line. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, thanks for hanging with us. Thank you for going through transitions. Thank you for not running from challenges. Thank you for showing faith when challenges come. You know, that strengthens us. Thank you. I remember the days when we would come and we would sit front row during baptisms just to try to get just a tiny bit of water on us or take bets on what babies would cry when you would hold them. Um, but for real, that, that stuff, even though it was small, got my friends to church and impacted their lives in a great way. And through our marriage, we have claimed living under an open heaven, which is something we learned from you and Beth. And we um, are really thankful for that to be a guiding post for our marriage. Uh, also, we, are, we really reminisce and um, are thankful for the way that you sent us into ministry with open hands and um, being slow to speak. But the words that you spoke were so full of wisdom um, and love. So that's something we'll always remember. Even determined to see fruit grow in that location. It really is a seed to what God does in the kingdom in general. So I wanted to say thank you, Greg, for faithful ministry. Thank you, Beth, for your ministry there. Thank you for all the ways that you've shown us how to be faithful over the long haul. May God bless you in this wonderful celebration of 40 years of faithful ministry. All of Asbury says, God bless you. Thank you. You believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And you've helped me be better than I thought I could ever be. And I'm more for Jesus because of you. I'm a better dad because of you. I'm a better husband because of you. And I'm certainly a better pastor because of you. Take into consideration uh, just how much you had to sacrifice relative to some of the other successes that uh, peers were seeking in the secular world. It's a uh, it's very sobering to me, uh, being a secular-based, career-driven person, uh, what giving your life away looks like uh, for the cause of Jesus. And so you should know that we're proud of you, and we love you. The thing that stands out to me as I age is the spiritual weight of leadership within the church is not small, um, and that only increases the more uh, influence you have. And as you look around Union Chapel and the community in Muncie, um, Union Chapel and uh, you guys have influence. And um, it, yeah, it makes us really proud to be your children. Um, and for me personally, um, I, I only aspire to leave a legacy that you guys have left uh, for my children and the community that I'm engaged in as well. So love you and proud of you. Uh, for everything that you've done and all that you're con con going to continue to do because the best is yet to come.
believe this. Greg uses it a lot, but I believe this. The best is yet to come. Lo mejor está por venir. The best is yet to come. I believe the best is yet to come. From two crazy pastors planting churches and prisons across the United States, the, the best, best is, is yet, yet to come. come. The best is yet to 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 come. Show some love to our pastor, Greg and Beth. We love you guys. Y'all mean so much to us. Friends, let's just stretch our hands out towards... Greg and Beth, as we pray for them. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, we love our friends. We love our leaders. We love all that you've done through them in us. And Lord, we also love where you're leading us to with them, God. And so as we stand in our hearts, we reach out our hands towards them. We're asking for the power of your spirit to send not just your protection, but your courage, your wisdom, and your guidance. Lord, we ask that you would open up the floodgates of heaven, that the power of your spirit would move through us in such a way. Lord, we stand on the promise that greater are the days to come than the days that have already been. And we know that you are a great God who does amazing things. And we will follow them as they lead us, Jesus. We celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate your life. And Lord, we look forward to the awesome celebration that will happen in heaven one day when hundreds and even thousands of people are worshiping Jesus because of your influence through them and through us. We give you praise. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, guys. Well, when we found out that uh, we were celebrating our 40th year, Greg said, you're going to have to say something. <laughs> I went, okay. And I thought, well, I'd better write it down so that I don't forget or don't go on too long. People without notes go on sometimes too long. <laughs> and <laughs> Celebrating 40 years of ministry at Union Chapel. We were 26 years old. Now we're older. <laughs> you do the math, 40 years. I remember that when uh, Greg told me that we were coming here, that um, God impressed upon my spirit that it didn't matter where I was, as long as that I was with him, that I would be happy, and that I would be content, I would be fruitful, and that we would be blessed. I also remember that Greg and I got down on our knees by our bed one of the first few days that we were here at Union Chapel, and we prayed that God would give us his best. We knew that he was doing things in the world, and we wanted to be part of what God was doing, and so we prayed, you give us your best too, God. We didn't want to chase after the next bigger church. We didn't want to go after the bigger, larger salary. 
nicer parsonage. We just didn't want to climb the ladder. People in the, in the ministry have the same, I think, challenges that you do, climbing that ladder. And, and so for us, we wanted to stay where God had put us and do all that he called us to do. We're really thankful that God brought us to a group of people that were willing to go all out for Christ, to reach others, sacrifice their tight-knit community. I believe God has honored those of the original Union Chapel, and he will continue to honor you for your faithfulness in that regards. I also want to thank Union Chapel for the way that you loved and nurtured our sons, Aaron and Isaac, and what successful men that they are. Some of you taught them in Sunday school, led them in youth group, uh, mission trips, all of those type of things. You had your hand in our sons' lives as well. And I'm, I'm very proud of both of our boys and their wives and our grandchildren. And so I want to thank God for that and thank you. We experienced many, many highs and some lows, but God has been faithful to us at Union Chapel. It's been a wonderful life here. I trust that God to give us many more spirit-filled, spirit-led days ahead here at Union Chapel and with you all. And on the last note, I, I want to especially thank I want to especially thank our staff. Because <laughs> Greg and I get the honor. But our staff, and you guys need to know this, they are top-notch. They, they put this together. And, and it's, it's such a blessing to have the staff that we have and the commitment that they have and their willingness to go for God as well with us. And, and like I said, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to get more of the accolades because we're the, the point person. But none of this would be possible with, you know, sound people and video people and secretaries and maintenance people and just the children's ministry and I mean it just goes on and on and on and I just I just want you to know that it's not just about Greg and I it's about everybody at Union Chapel and one of the things that I've always said about Union Chapel that if you want to have a ministry you can put your hands on something there's always something for you to do don't think that just because we're a big church is that there aren't any needs that need to be met. And so I just want you to know how much we love you and we're thankful that we're here and that you're with us. Thank you. There you go.
Uh, if you want to see my tooth, just come up afterwards and I'll give you a big smile, okay? There was a child who asked to see it after the last service, so... I've been wearing this gold cap since I was eight years old, and I discovered early in my young adult years that a gold cap on your tooth was very popular with, uh, with the girls in the minority community. And so I just drive down there once in a while and just walk around smiling and get lots of attention, and I like it. So that's why I've kept it, yeah. When I was a freshman at the university, the Valparaiso basketball team went to Florida for a road trip around Christmas, and our first game was against the University of Tampa. It was a new school relatively at the time, a commuter campus primarily, and we didn't think much of it because of that kind of culture, and we thought we would probably could handle the opponent fairly easily, and it didn't turn out that way. They were bigger than us, stronger than us, more skilled than us. How many of you know that's a bad recipe? And we got smashed. I mean, they really hammered us. And our coach at the time did not like to lose, and he didn't like to lose ugly. And so at the end of the game, he went on a tirade. He was going crazy. And lots of locker room kind of crazy. And so we were sitting there taking our medicine. And before the game, the coach had said, because we had two cars that the team was traveling in, that the trainer would take five of the team members downtown after the game to do whatever they wanted to do downtown, and that the coach would take the rest of us five to the, back to the hotel. And we said, who wants to go downtown and essentially party after the game? And five of the party boys raised their hand. And so it was agreed that the trainer would take them and the coach would take the rest of us back to the hotel. Perfect. Well, now it's post-game and the coach is just finishing his tirade. And then he says, and so we're changing it up. He said, I've decided that I'm taking the group downtown and the trainer will drive the other five back to the hotel. Now, which of you five said you wanted to go downtown? Well, nobody wanted to go with him anywhere. And so the five party, party guys just stood there like, it wasn't me. I didn't, I didn't say I wanted to go. So the coach then goes, well, all right, then you, 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 and you are coming with me, and we're going to have a good time, just like that. And he pointed to me. I was one of the guys that had to go downtown with the coach. This is like that, this whole celebration. It feels very similar. I... I don't like being the center of attention. I don't like, I don't like a party necessarily. I don't, I, don't, I don't like it. So I'm doing the best I can. Beth, of course, loves a party. She's so happy. She's so grateful. You saw her, she teared up. She, I mean, she's feeling it. It's all good. So, and I'm doing my best <laughs> to get through this. Now, I understand 40 years, that's, that is a big deal. But it's almost like an out-of-body experience for me because it doesn't feel like 40 years. I mean, what, 40 years went like, like that? And so it doesn't feel burdensome or wearisome to me. It just feels kind of normal. 
But I do get it. You know, I can rationalize it. 40 years, that's a milestone. That's a big deal. That's notable. That should be celebrated. Someone should pause and go, hey, that's something. And so that's what we're doing. And as Beth has mentioned, so many people have contributed to the celebration that we're having today. And I want to say thanks to, especially to our team, our staff, who care so much about everything they do. And this has been a labor of love for them, I know. And we feel that love very much. Uh, just to, to assemble all the people that you saw in the video, I mean, think of the work and the connections that had to be done for that. Um, just amazing. Appreciate our boys taking time out of their schedules to, to throw in as well. And just for everyone's willingness to celebrate this milestone with us, we appreciate it very, very much. I want to read a passage of scripture to us this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 12. You can just remain seated this morning. This is the writer of Hebrews, and I want to read from chapter 12, verse 1. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, this is a very important passage of scripture. I've relied on this many times over the years, and I love the whole idea that we are surrounded. This is the phrase. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, how cool is that? This infers, of course, that there are people who, who have died in the faith, they've passed on, they are now added in the heavenly kingdom to a realm of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses, and we apparently are surrounded by them so because we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And so the implication there is we don't, we don't know how much purview they have in our, in our world, in our lives, how much they can see or understand of what's happening here. No one knows the answer to that question. But we do know they're there, and they are giving witness, and that somehow they represent to us the encouragement and the celebration and the energy and passion that goes with the mission that God has given us to share the glorious hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that we have influence with. And so there's a great cloud of witnesses who have surrounded us, who are urging us on, who are cheering us on, who are, who are encouraging us to run well and to finish well. And with that in mind, I thought 40 years. We have a, a cloud of witnesses within the context of our own ministry in 40 years. Let me name some names. John and Mary Wybrook. They're part of the cloud of witnesses. Don and Mary Knox, Estelle and Mary Jane Love. These were all folks old enough to be our grandparents when we first arrived at Union Chapel 40 years ago who sacrificed a lot. Opal and Archie Lee Wilson, Gladys and Laverne Maine, Flossie and Ed Taylor, Dorothy and Gerald Seidner. These are, these are all generations back now all of whom are part of this great cloud of witnesses. Pete Campbell, Floyd Ziegler, Buck and Neva Covey. Now, there are others that we know who are part of the cloud of witnesses who have passed on, but 
they died maybe a little earlier than some of these older generations, and so I, I can't name everybody. But these are folks, when you think about it, they had been in the same little country church for over 100 years, generation after generation, for 100 years. They were all essentially, practically related to each other. So when you showed up at Union Chapel 40 years ago, it was like a family reunion. And everybody knows everybody. And then some young snot-nosed kid, 26 years old, and his little wife come in and say, you know, we got to make some changes around here. <laughs> this isn't going to do at all. You know, the way you've been doing it for 100 years, forget about that. We're going on to something else. Well, listen, that creates like stress and tension with people. <laughs> and we began to experience that. But John and Mary Wybrew, we got to a moment where we had to decide we're going to leave our, our building on Sunday mornings and move to Delta High School for our worship. And so the district superintendent had showed up because we had to make a formal vote that we're going to do this. I'd even called, called our bishop at the time. I talked to the bishop, and he said to me, I only know about one other church that left a building that they already owned and could make use of and went to some other location that they rented, and that church ended up closing down. doesn't even exist anymore. So the, my bishop said, that's a bad idea. Don't do it. <laughs> and so there wasn't a lot of popular opinion about this idea, and so we had to have a meeting. The district superintendent was there and asked for someone to move, make a motion that the church relocate services to Delta High School. And there was quiet in the room and lots of tension in the room. And you could just cut it with a knife. It was really tense, stressful, until John Wybrew simply stood to his feet. He was the postmaster at the Eaton Post Office. And he stood to his feet and he said, we have to do this. This is what we've been praying for. This is what we've been asking Jesus to do. God's given us an opportunity to reach more people. For Jesus' sake, we can't say no. We have to say yes. And all the tension went out of the room, and off we went. Isn't that a great thing? John, John is one of those great clouds of witnesses today, and he's cheering us on. He's cheering us on. Then there was Don and Mary Knox, when I say God-fearing, you know, salt of the earth kind of folks, common folks, when I say common, I mean really common, common folks. Don and Mary lived very modestly. They did a little farming. Don drove a school bus. And I preached a sermon when I was 27 years old, and I entitled it Half-Baked Potatoes. Half-Baked Potatoes. Now, on the, on the tact, tact scale, I score very low. <laughs> Just barely move the meter on sensitivity and tact. In fact, if you're here for the first time today, you're, you, know, you realize this is a little unusual kind of service or online. And if you're perceptive, you may be driving home and go, you know, uh, that pastor is not very tactful. It, it might occur to you. Think about me at 27. So I preached a sermon called Half-Baked Potatoes. It was a sermon on lukewarm Christianity. And, of course, the Bible warns about being lukewarm. And I warn people sternly <laughs> about the condition of lukewarmness. And it's a wonder folks didn't just get up and leave in mass and say, we're not listening to that anymore. But folks hung in there. They, they, they waited it out. 
And I finished, and I mean, it was rough. I still have the notes. I can't believe I said some of the things I did. Half-baked potatoes. So my custom was to greet people at the door as they were leaving and greeting folks as they left, and everybody was, you know, staggering out, dragging a leg because, you know, they were all (laughs) beat up. And, And Don Knox and Mary came to the door, and Don had a big smile on his face. And he reached out and firmly shook my hand. And he looked at me, and this is what he said, and I quote. He said, hey, that ought to melt their butter. (laughs) And I went, bam, yeah, there's one guy. One guy got the sermon. It's awesome. (laughs) Then I mentioned Opal and Archie Wilson, Gladys and Laverne Maine, Flosie and Ed Taylor, And you've heard me tell the story about Opal, Gladys, and Flossie. Not Flossie, Flossie. Opal, Gladys, and Flossie. Names have not been changed. (laughs) And the three of them came to me after a sermon. And this was within three months of our tenure here. Opal was the spokesperson. With a big smile, all three of these women were old enough to be our grandmother. And with a big smile and a respectful tone, Opal said with the support of the other two. The three of us have been meeting on a regular basis for about 30 years. And the reason we have met for these 30 years is for the purpose of prayer. We have been praying that God will do something in our church that no one can explain except that God has done it. And we want you to know we are praying for you. That's a quote. Now, when you're, when you're 27, 26 or 27, and someone says, we're praying for you, the instinct I had at the time was, isn't that nice? That is so nice. Those ladies are so nice. I had no idea. I had no idea the power of intercession. How are you supposed to know these things? How do you know that God answers prayers? And he especially enjoys and responds to the bold prayers of the women and men of faith. 30 years. It could have just been their persistence. Not just merely the content of their prayers, but somewhere in the sequence, God decided, I'm going to answer their prayer. I'm going to do something in their church that no one can explain except God has done something. And we we arrive and we're in the middle of this. Listen, there's going to be a big awards banquet someday. There, it, it's going to be in heaven. And awards are going to be given. And, and someone's going to call John Wybrew. John Wybrew will step forward. And Jesus will say at a, at a crossroads milestone moment in the history of a church that I had incredible design for and potential inlaid At that precise moment, he is the one by faith stood up and said, I think we ought to take the next step. And people will go, yay, yay. When Union Chapel is called sometime in eternity, let me prophesy to you now. I'm not speculating about this. I know what's going to happen. I know this will happen. Union Chapel, Muncie, Indiana. There will be lots of people thinking, well, they're going to, you know, call Greg and Beth Paris up there now. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. 
certainly not first. What they're going to do is please step forward, Opal, Gladys, and Flosie, and then the story will be told, and heaven will erupt because of the faithfulness and the bold praying of three women who saw in their future something that God might do in their church. May God give every church people like that, praying like that. Listen, I know the difference because I was given two churches when we first arrived here. One was in Mill Grove, up in Blackford County, a little crossroads town called Mill Grove. And I would go there, I would take Beth, our little son Aaron at the time, and we would go there and I would preach. I would preach the same sermon. I would preach with all the passion and conviction that I knew how, and I would then finish that. And I would get in my car and drive five miles to Union Chapel, and I would preach the same sermon with the same passion there. And I did that for two solid years. That was like a hundred sermons that I preached in both churches within an hour of each other. I preached that sermon a hundred times at the Millgrove Church, and let me tell you the result. It was like preaching to a painting. There was no animation, there was no breathing, there was no laughing, there was no response. It was like a painting. Nobody moved, not an inch, not at all. Nothing happened. It was very frustrating. I would get in my car and drive those five miles to Union Chapel and I would begin to preach and the spirit of God began to percolate and people began to respond and good things were happening. And what this did, this reminded me after two years of that, preaching, giving it my best in one place, nothing happening, going to another place, preaching my best and everything happening. And this is a way that God reminded me of my role in all of it. I got perspective on that very quickly. We decided in the fall of 1981 that we'd have these fall revival services. This is what little churches do. Little country churches, they do this in the spring or in the fall. They have fall revival. Uh, You can drive by little churches here in Delaware County and they have a little sign out front and they'll say revival services, you know, May 16th through the 21st and Brother Smith, you know, is the evangelist and blah, blah, blah. Or maybe they've got a gospel quartet coming. They'll they'll have that all on the signboard and, you know, everybody welcome. Well, we did the same thing. And we had a whole week of services scheduled for the fall of 1981. And we started on a Monday night or on a Sunday night and we had a carry-in dinner. That's what you do. Everybody carries in, have a nice dinner. We had about 35 people there, you know, nice crowd for a Sunday night. And we all enjoyed dinner. And then we went up to the sanctuary and we sang all the right songs. We sang victory in Jesus and power in the blood and revive us again. And I had invited my friend Mark Beeson to preach. And so he preached the first Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday that week. And Mark was a great was a great preacher and he got up and preached Christ with great conviction, gave an invitation we, to receive Christ. We, we sang as a closing hymn, Just As I Am. We sang all 38 verses of Just As I Am <laughs> while everyone remained just the way they'd always been. <laughs> it was tedious. Sunday came and went, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, My friend Mark couldn't be there. He had a previous engagement. And so I preached a sermon that night. I trotted out this dog of a sermon. I still have the notes in my file from that night. The sermon was was not good, not compelling, not interesting. 
Yeah, I did the best I could. We sang all 37 verses of Just As I Am. Nothing's going on. I literally, you're going to think poorly of me now. I actually started to think, what is on TV on Thursday night? Before I actually closed the meeting. Because I thought, I got to think of something that's interesting because this is not interesting to me. And before I could pronounce the benediction, we, were, we had finished the last note of the last stanza of Just As I Am. I was going to pronounce the benediction and say, let's get out of here. This is not working. And the woman who'd been playing the piano for years stood up and began to reminisce. She began to talk about years prior when she would remember people coming to the altar of the church and praying there and seeking God. And she reminisced a bit. That had been many years since she'd seen that. And then she began to confess her own sin. Maybe she was indifferent or apathetic. Maybe that's why God hadn't done anything in the church. And she began to cry. She began to weep. And she choked up, couldn't talk anymore. Were you there that night, Marty? Were you, she, I think she was. Go like this. Yeah. We have a witness. So the woman at the piano was in tears and couldn't talk anymore. And it was dead quiet. There's only 35 people. It's like a living room meeting. Everybody's related. And then from the back row, Archie Lee Wilson stood up. Now this is Opal, Gladys, and Flosey. This is Opal's Archie Lee Wilson. And Archie Lee sat on the back row because he was a church boss. He's one of the tribal chiefs. And he was in charge. He had already confronted me in the first few months of my tenure at Union Chapel, told me what I could say and what I couldn't say, uh, that he was opposed to this subject and that subject, and, and, uh, and above all else, he was against any kind of emotional display in church. We will not tolerate an outburst of emotion in our church under any circumstances. Okay, I'll try not to cry next week. <laughs> I don't receive instruction all that well, but... <laughs> I was trying to play along the best I could. Archie Lee stands up, and here's, I got a woman crying. And he stands up, and he points his old bony finger at me. Now, Archie was a farmer, uh, and he was a rascal. He was a character. He, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was rough around the edges. He was crusty. Other names are coming to mind, but I can't, you know, can't say those in church. So he stands up and he, you know, I can, so I, his finger was bent. So he's pointing at me with a, you know, crooked finger. I can still see it. And he, and he goes, preacher, just like that, in a, with a tone. And I thought, oh, man, I, I braced myself because I thought, here it comes. He's going to dress me down now in front of everybody because I'm letting this woman cry. And, and then he says, preacher, he said, I've been a member of this church for 48 years. I've been the chairman. He starts naming committees. I've taught Sunday school in this church for 45 years. And then he said, but I'm sick and tired of sucking on the bottle spiritually. Only he didn't say bottle. He was an old farm boy. I looked at Beth. I didn't say anything. I looked at Beth and I thought, can you say that in church? I'm not sure you can use that word in church. Never heard it in church. Yeah, we're out in the country. And then he said, I don't know what anyone else in this church is going to do, but I'm going to get right with God. 
what? You know, it was like surreal. I mean, you couldn't comprehend what he was saying. He climbs over his wife, Opal, of Opal, Gladys, and Flossy prayer fame and starts down the aisle. Now, Opal is happy. She's happy about this because she's been praying for Archie longer than she's been praying for the church. And she's behind her, and he, she, is, she is worshiping God. She's in tears. She's, she's thanking Jesus. She's about to fall out. Folks don't know what that means. So I, <laughs> She was really happy. <laughs> you haven't been, you've been in too many Methodist meetings. That's why you don't know what falling out is. So Archie Lee comes all the way to the front, and he kneels down at the kneeling rail, and I knelt down right in front of him, 10 inches away. From, we were eye to eye. I said, Archie Lee, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ to become your personal Lord and Savior? And he looked at me, and in a strong voice, he said, no, sir, I never have. <laughs> now, I wasn't surprised by that, but the thoughts that went through my head was, you know, I didn't say them, but I thought them. And I thought, you know, you've been leading the church in every capacity possible. You've been teaching Sunday school for 45 years. If you knew Jesus, that would really help your public ministry. And so I looked at him and I said out loud, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior right now? And again, in a strong voice, he said, yes, sir, I believe I would. And I led him in a simple prayer and he received Christ. That was on a Thursday night in 1981, November, out in the middle of a cornfield. The following Sunday, just three or four days later, this was a Thursday night. On Sunday morning, we'd been averaging about 50, 60 people in church. And on the following Sunday, three days later, 147 people were in church and 28 of those people made first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. From, from, that, from that moment to this moment, it has been an all-out sprint to keep up with what God is doing in this church. We, led more people, we, will, we will lead more people to Jesus today as a church than we did yesterday and the day before that. This has been true now for 40 years. We are leading more people to Jesus every day than we did the day before. It's an amazing thing. Did you hear Robin Wood last week talk about the first meeting in the first prison where we've trained a, a church planter there, where they had a, a, an open yard meeting, 250 inmates came, 250 men, and there was worship and there was preaching and an invitation to receive Christ, and 50 inmates came to faith in Christ? That's the first meeting we've had. We just, got, we just got a video this week from, from Kelly Barkle, who's in Daytona, Florida. He was one of the guys saying the best is yet to come. And it shows him there with one of his CrossFit guys. You know, both of these guys, you know, 2% two, two body fat, all beefed up, you know, just standing in the, standing in the, in the, the wake of, of the Atlantic Ocean in Daytona. And here's Kelly. He just sent us a 10-second video this week grabbing this guy, and in the name of Jesus, I baptize, and baptizing him in the surf in Daytona. This is happening every day through the life and ministry of our church. We know the numbers. In the last 30 years, we've kept track of this. Over 70,000 different people have attended this church. 70,000. We have effectively preached the gospel to this whole community. 
It is a remarkable thing. And there is no explanation for it except that God has done it. If you, if you sat down right now and you were challenged, make a list of seven things or ten things, reasons, why Union Chapel even exists in this city, let alone has the influence that we've, we have, there's no way you could, you could sort it unless you put Opal, Gladys, and Flossia on the top line. It's the only way you can explain it. That's the only way. And so we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Amen. And they're cheering us on. And 40 years have gone by very quickly. And when we look back and we, and we count the cost and we see the benefits and we, and we understand the work of God and the hand of God present, there is much to celebrate and much to give thanks for. But I'm telling you that 40 years has gone by so quickly and it, and it seems like just a good start, like a good foundation upon which God has exponentially more fruit for us to bear in the future. And so let's lay aside every weight and encumbrance and the sin that so easily besets us. And let's run this race with perseverance. Let's run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Oh, yes, on his face and enduring whatever, whatever comes our way because he's the author of our faith and he is the finisher of our faith. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be about what we're doing I've never been more thrilled about the future than I am right now. And I want to close with one more passage of scripture because this best describes for Beth and me how we feel about you and being in partnership with you. So I'm going to put it on the screen for you. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writing to the church at Philippi and now from our hearts to yours. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending, confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And may you receive that prayer today from Beth and me, and may it, may it continue to encourage, strengthen, and embolden your resolve to follow Jesus all the way until that day. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Would you stand with us?